2: So we sat with him in the hospital room, and she was rocking him. She told him all the friends he had, all the difference he'd made in uh, lives. Then she said, Nathaniel, in just a few minutes, um, you're going to leave my arms and uh, go in the arms of Jesus.
1: Dear young married couple, you've likely experienced significant loss in your life. You might even be going through significant loss right now and feeling the pain of that loss.
0: And you actually might not have ever gone through something, but here's something that we know, every single human being will go through grief at some point. Mm -hmm. And it's an incredible emotion. We actually have a lot of people that come to us that are grieving and are trying to figure out how to cope. There are some people that have done a lot of work and it shows and you could see them gaining ground in their situation. Mm-hmm. Then we have other people who have um, made the difficult choice to run from their grief or to not address it. Mm-hmm. So because Dr. Norris is a professor, he has given us today, and if, and if you're listening and you're going through grief, he's given you an assignment. And it will show you how to do um, maybe a, a better job at coping with what life has dealt with you.
1: And when you're listening to this, try not to only see through that lens of like losing a loved one, because that is one form of loss. But there are many forms of loss. You might have gone through a significant loss in the form of moving and relocating. It could be the loss of a pet. It could be the loss of a job, Um, a significant loss of finances because you had a car wreck or a health situation. Those are all prompts for grief. So just to give you a definition, a loss is a significant change or end of a familiar pattern. And grief is our response to that significant change or end of a familiar pattern. Grief isn't just sadness. Um, Grief involves a myriad of emotions. And Dr. Norris talks to us about how he experienced a significant loss and how he responded to it, at first not so well, and then how he actually managed to experience healthy coping. Um, Dr. Norris is a prolific writer, author, and a professor as Adam said. He teaches at Urshan Graduate School of Theology. He has a bachelor's, master's, and PhD, and he has a beautiful experience to share with us today.
0: Yes, it, it was a fantastic conversation. So grab a pen, grab some paper, and take some notes because this one is good.
1: Welcome Dr. David Norris to the podcast. We're honored that you're with us today.
2: Oh, thank you. It's a delight.
0: Man, well, we are looking forward to talking with you and hearing your story Mm -hmm. um, around grief and um, raising kids and and all that has to take... has to offer here.
1: Yeah. So we actually first learned about you, um, but didn't connect the dots when we read a book about family and you were a contributor in that book. And then our administrative assistant, Raya, Raya, newborn, she was like, Hey, I think you should have Dr. David Norris on. He has a story to share. And then she helped us connect the dots. She's like, he was actually a contributor in this book and you were her professor And um, so we said, let's do it. Let's have Dr. David Norris on the podcast. And we're very grateful that even though this is a painful um, story to share, uh, in your words, it's sweet pain. And we want to hear about your story wherever you think would be a good place to start
2: well thank you uh nancy and i were married young we don't recommend that these days uh we're going to be a, a 48 years anniversary in june so wow. we're about that and we're already planning our 50th hopefully we'll live that long and uh all that sort of thing but we're we're excited
1: that's incredible we got married
2: uh I, I graduated from bible college on a sunday night turned 21 on monday night okay. got married on tuesday night Wow. Um, when we were going together, I said, "You know, Nancy, someday I'm going to start a church. Uh, the Lord's called me to do that." And her first response was like, "Oh no!" And, and <laughs> the, reason, the reason why uh, you never have to guess what Nancy's thinking. She's a total sanguine, and and whatever she's feeling, then you'll you'll hear about it soon. She was her dad was a pioneer church planner in Chicago. Actually, had started. Uh, four or five churches in the Chicago area, all the while working full time. So she knew what it was like to be the only young person teaching Sunday school at age 12 or whatever, all that sort of thing. So yep. anyway, she, she still married me and that was a good thing. Uh, <laughs> we started a church in West Bend, Wisconsin when I was uh, we were 24. And uh, we uh, wanted to have children and didn't seem like we could have any. We went to all the specialists and those infertility things, they can be a little bit uh, daunting. And uh, so nobody was happier than us when it was finally announced that we were gonna have a a baby. Mm. I went to all of the uh, appointments and did the whole pillow thing and uh, breathing and got everything ready to go. And the night, uh, the day that uh, our child was due, we knew the exact day it was due, I, we, we had planned it. I went to the doctor and he said, well, there's something wrong with the baby. And I said, well, what is it? He said, I don't know, but the not enough amniotic fluid, the head's too small. Mm. I said, well, what could it be? And he started listing all the things it could be and none of them were good. Mm. So he said, um, maybe you need to think about having this baby, not in a small town here in West Bend, but you would go to Milwaukee to have it. Well, that night after Bible study, there was a big blizzard and the purviews were closed. And sure enough, uh, Nancy went into labor. Uh, we finally got to the hospital in Milwaukee. Uh, and when uh, after, oh, I don't know, 12, 15 hours of labor, they said, you know, we're going to have a cesarean section and wait here. And I was by the neonatal clinic and the, the doctor did not remove his mask. He said, uh, Mr. Norris, and I, I knew I was in trouble, the doctor will remove his mask. And I, he said, I said, yes, it's me. He said, uh, oh, your baby's coming in now uh, and uh, his hips and knees are at a joint. And he said, but we can fix that. Well, I thought, well, what can't you fix? And it turned out he had a very rare genetic disorder. It was called Cri syndrome. Mm. And it's something like down's and that it could be very severe or very it could be high level functioning. He turned out to be uh on the lower end of the spectrum. So uh, his name he he was uh hospitalized at least five times a year and anything could put him in the uh hospital. Wow. And I coped terribly with that. Uh my mm-hmm. wife she, she had puppets. She put music. She would bring. She would go down the hall, <laughs> visiting with the nurses. The all the nurses knew him. Uh, they said he'd only live a couple of years, but he actually lived till he was thirteen years old. Wow! And uh, what a what a special boy. He um, he couldn't uh, he couldn't speak. He was total care. He was about a three to six month level. Um, and he was sick a lot, but he he loved to go to church. Yeah. And on um, uh, the um, fast songs, he'd get real happy. And uh, if there was uh, tongues and interpretation, he would get real quiet. You know this, wow. and, and, and he knew people. He loved people. And if he didn't like someone, you better watch out because he was discerning something that <laughs> uh, you couldn't know intellectually.
1: What do you make of that? When when a child, your child in this case. You know, is nonverbal and communicates in their own way, but is sensitive to the move of the spirit.
2: Yeah i I don't have an answer to that, but I just observed it. Um, yeah, hmm.
1: so fascinating.
2: It, yeah, um, and the thing is, when he's your child, uh, it's it's like um, I don't know. When I would take him to school, and there's all these. Kids that uh, I thought, oh, he's in this classroom. The kids we can't do anything. What's that? I, in my mind, he didn't have a handicap. In my mind, mm. he was just my son, mm. and he had a routine. Uh, he would go to school. He had a nurse that helped him in the morning, a nurse that happened, helped him in the afternoon, and he couldn't do much. But he could splash in the bathtub in a special chair. She let him do it, and he would splash all over the walls and the ceilings and laugh mm. and giggle, and Aww. then he. He would uh, get his n- nice new jams on. If I was home, I had a, we had a rocking chair, and part of his routine is I'd rock him in the chair. And then we would have a cassette tape of uh, Meryl Streep's uh, telling his story of uh, a Velveteen Rabbit. And so the music would come on, and we'd be rocking him, and, and uh, uh, she'd say, once, there was a Velveteen Rabbit and in the beginning, he was quite bushy. And when he heard that, and he—he's in my arms, and he was snuggle. And I'm like, <sighs> and at that moment, it didn't matter. Yeah, you know, that he would, wouldn't win a trophy or yeah. be a preacher or Bible quiz or any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, he was—it was enough that he's my son. Yeah, mm-hmm. he didn't have to do anything. I love right. him because he's my son. He uh he lived to be about thirteen, got pretty big and hard to handle. Yeah. Uh, and so for Nancy that was that was a struggle. Um mm. and at the end he uh a couple of times he had to be medevaced and there were any anything could be life threatening. So any he, he had a number of surgeries there all were life threatening and even coded at times, you know. So A
1: lot of stress related to those those medical needs.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: So finally, the doctor. We were at this time. We were living in uh, Philadelphia. I was uh, teaching at Kent Christian College and doing my PhD work. And the uh, the doctor said, uh, "Have you ever considered letting him go? Because the next surgery will be very, very invasive, and you know, maybe the time for heroics is over." Well. I would not think yeah. about it. But Nancy considered it first. And she said, you know, yeah, maybe we should. If he has this other episode, maybe we should just let him go. Mm. And so it was her courage, when I didn't have courage, uh, that allowed us to make that decision.
1: And what does that mean when you say let him go?
2: Well, he... He would have had to have a trach, uh, some other major surgery just to keep him alive. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. He already had a gastrostomy tube, and he had other things that he was. And um, so, um, rather than rather than you know continuing on in, yeah. uh, in heroic efforts, it would just okay. It's yeah. time for him, for him to go. Yeah. So we sat with him in the, she had him in a chair in the um, hospital room. And she was rocking him. And we had her sister came up and some close friends were out. Um, and the song came on, the music, Swing Down, Sweet Chariot. And Ron, their friend, just went over to turn it off. She said, no, let it go. And she rehearsed to him his life story, all the things she, he, he'd he been with us. We'd take him with us on ministry, and we'd bring a college student with us, and all this. Mm. She told him all the friends he had, all the difference he'd made in uh, lives. And then she said, Nathaniel, in just a few minutes, um, you're going to leave my arms and uh, go in the arms of Jesus. And so peacefully at first we didn't even know it's gone now well, that's exactly what happened wow. wow uh he loved balloons he loved mylar balloons he'd lick them get silver all over him and uh we'd say nathaniel and then he'd laugh that he was able to do that you know and uh, <laughs> so at his funeral they sent hundreds of balloons people that knew him we released those knowing that we'll see him whole one day mm. so special um, so uh the real problem with grieving of course, is that people don't grieve the same right and uh, Nancy and I reacted differently to uh, my son's loss yeah. for man he uh, gets esteemed by what he does and what he accomplishes for women um, it can be I'm generalizing but in general uh, self-esteem comes through your children and caring for them. And she was a full-time caregiver for Mm -hmm. her child. Mm -hmm. And now she lost her child and now she lost her job and all of that. We were, uh, I was under a lot of stress. I wouldn't recommend anybody doing what I did, but I was pastoring a small church. I was uh, flying back and forth to IBC to teach there. And uh, I was doing my PhD work. And then my son died. Nancy, she was running the education stuff at church, and she didn't want to do that. She didn't want to go to church. She didn't know if she liked people. Um, And then she was blaming me because I seemed to be going on with life Uh. and and not remembering the loss of our
0: son. Mm.
2: So How did you guys
1: communicate through that?
0: Because that's that's perceptive in some ways for her to point that out. Like, hey, you don't seem to be grieving. And realize that in herself that that was frustrating to her. Yeah.
2: Oh, was, yeah. Well, and I, I handled it all wrong. So uh, I wouldn't recommend doing what I do. I said, you, you know, you need to go see a counselor. I said, she you need to go see a counselor. So um, not all Christian counselors are created equal. So we went to one we'd been to before, And he basically told her to submit. And that's the last time we went to that counselor because he just like missed the whole thing. He was kind of old school, older guy. And so then she went to another counselor who uh, was very non director. In fact, I think he fell asleep during her
0: session. Oh my goodness.
2: (laughs) Oh,
1: wow. So that and would be then, tough to keep trying to find yeah. someone after counselors letting you down. Yeah,
2: yeah, well, finally she found a counselor that had been a pastor's wife. Mm. Um, and she went to her, and she was pretty directive uh, and and helped her a few sessions. And after a little while, she said, do you think your husband would come? Mm. And so finally she caught caught me dragging and kicking and whatever, and we went from then on together, and that was very helpful.
1: Mm. What did you I, learn?
2: Well, one of the key moments was when uh, the counselor looked at me and said, look, you're doing a PhD, you're, you're bringing all these kids to, from the Bible college to the weekends, that's bothering your wife, you're doing this, you're doing that. Um, and, uh, and, and then we had another conflict, because there was a church that wanted her to come on Wednesday nights and uh, for a month uh, train their teachers and do that. And I said, no, Uh, Uh, because, I mean, who's going to do my church, you know? And so the counselor said she was was very good. She said, well, do you pay her? And I said, no. And she said, will they pay her? I said, yes. Well, she said, then it's obvious she should go. (laughs) (laughs) I said, well, you don't understand my culture. And she said, well, maybe your culture isn't the right culture. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, that was a great blessing to her to get away and to do something someplace else. And I took the counselor to sort of help me see that. Mm. And it really did help her.
1: So how did you distinguish both you and your wife between uh, work and ministry as a distraction during grief versus work in ministry as an aid to help process the grief.
2: I don't think either of us did it right. Okay. I don't, I, I think I was doing it as a distraction and that's what okay. the council pointed out. Okay. And also something else. She said to me at one point, she said, look, uh, what are you trying to do here? Are you trying to get your father's approval? Cause he's dead. Ooh. Mm. And, uh, uh, she wasn't right on that it wasn't my father's approval it was really my grandfather's approval she was close enough where i i was about to she would let you argue with her and i did when i felt like she was wrong okay and uh i but i i started to say something uh yeah Mm. i I, i'm also uh, a, a journaler i journal Nancy immediately changed her whole focus. She went to hospice. She began working with the school uh, for special needs. Uh, She had me go with her to uh, a couple of different grief sharing groups, and she was totally fine sharing. I struggled sharing. I hate Ah. that. You know, even though you
1: shared in your journal, you processed via writing, but sharing with others was was difficult.
2: How?
0: I I'm just wondering cuz I think that's a powerful tool for helping people is writing mm-hmm. but people don't a lot of people don't take the time to do that. Mm-hmm. What would like what insights do you gain from writing and and what would you could you encourage people maybe like you that have a difficult time sharing while that's important to start journaling.
2: Well, I think uh particularly men don't think we have much to say. You know, we, we, we list the things that happen, whatever. But there's something about the magic of a pen. And some people do with a computer, some do with a pen. Mm. As, as you start, and start feeling and let yourself feel, um, you need to relive all those emotions. Uh, and you can't shortchange grief, you know. You're going to grieve one way or another, and it's going to come out one place or another if you're not grieving. So uh, I don't think there's uh one right way to do it but i i found if something i felt hurt i should write about it Mm. the most helpful Mm. things were to me if if something really was feeling like bothering me. if i started writing about it insights would come that i didn't know and healing that would come uh even though i wasn't altogether recognizing how and what that was about
0: Uh I i love that you can't shortchange grief Well, how do we try to do that?
2: Well, you know, in our culture, you get 30 days to grieve. And even in the church, people want you to get over it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they'll send you cards for a while and then like, okay, get on with life. Um, But you never, uh, losses that we have will hurt the rest of our lives. You yeah. kind of just have to lean into those losses and just uh, just realize that it's there. And yeah, I feel bad. I feel yeah. hurt. I feel yeah.
0: So good, because at the beginning, when you're ta- talking about when your your boy was first born and then kind of him grazing, you you said you coped badly at that point. So in a way that experience was grieving and then going through your, his growing up, I'm sure there was different forms of it and then losing him and you had a complete change in the way you saw him. And now it was a different grief. How did that change as you went through this experience? And how did you like change the way you, you interacted with it?
2: Uh, I remember I shared after Nathaniel was born, and the Lord spoke to me he doesn't he doesn't tell you why, okay, but he'll give you little insights and helpful things. Oh, you know why God, why God, I felt the kind of comforting voice, I'll give you compassion uh I said, no God, I don't need compassion I mm-hmm. <laughs> I shared that in church, and there was an elderly lady who had come with us to start the church, and she reminded me of how I handled a difficult situation for her. She said, you actually do need compassion.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The Lord gave you compassion.
2: So I think you can't, looking back, you know, you can see stuff, but I don't think you can really measure as as you go uh, what's happening in your life and how, Um, God is helping in the midst of, uh, hurt and how it's possible even to be a wounded healer. In fact, he, 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 uh, sometimes does his best work with wounded healers.
1: Yeah. Expound upon that a bit. We're familiar with that concept and even a book by that title, but for those who maybe that's foreign to them, what does that mean to be a wounded healer?
2: In Hebrews chapter 5, it talks about Jesus and that, that he's like us and that he could be a high priest because he's like us mm-hmm. and that he can feel what we feel because he felt it too. And so um, it says concerning Christ, who can compa- have compassion on those who are ignorant, unlearned, for that he himself was compassed about with adversity. So when we, God doesn't insulate us from hurt. Um, but even in the midst of our hurt, and sometimes because of our hurt, we can um, be a help to somebody else, uh, sometimes just being there, sometimes listening, something like that, um, even though we we don't have it all together ourselves. So uh, when you're grieving, sometimes you, you want to run away from helping others. Mm-hmm. Or when you're hurting, sometimes you feel like well I got nothing here uh, but yeah. God often uses us uh, in unexpected and surprising ways when we uh, when, when when even through the midst of our difficulties and our hurt right. mm-hmm. in in ways that actually help more than we could ever uh, have anticipated yeah
1: and that's wow. when your your ministry and work was used as an aid in processing your grief and it was reciprocal because you were contributing and pouring into others and that was part of you healing while the other person was mm. you were coming alongside them to heal too
2: somebody said to me once don't waste your suffering <sighs> yeah don't waste your suffering yeah use it to someone else
1: so you guys actually started writing a book your wife initiated that process it sounds like and you guys started writing a, a book to detail your story
2: yeah. Uh, I continued to refuse to write it. Uh, I was working on other projects uh, and then uh, I wanted to stay married and uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I promised, okay, once I'm done with this one book I'm working on, we'll do this. We went to, uh, uh, between semesters, uh, we had a like a several week break and I um, uh, I looked for the cheapest place on water because I knew if I could see the water, I could do it. So mm-hmm. it turned out to be Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So that began our yearly midwinter. Year. So we sat down and we wrote like a chapter a day, and um, some of our hurts were were not because of Athena, because of family hurts and you know other hurts and this mm-hmm. and that, and so first draft we didn't care we just wanted to write it all and get it out there and and and, and then we sent it uh to friends and would say okay now which part of this should we take out and then we sent it to family members is this how you remember it or is this offensive or whatever whatever okay. and, and so part of it was so healing for us was to to write the book and then um we wrote it really for us but then we uh, Back in what was it, two thousand seven or something? It was, it was ten years after he died. Okay. It took took us ten years to yeah. uh, be able to look at that. So she had, I had journal, she had calendars, she had notes, and we would remember things differently. And so then she would call someone. Was this the way you remember it? And and so uh, it's funny what. Uh, and sometimes people no, it was this other way. So. You, you yeah. your memory can play tricks on you sometimes. So, uh,
1: <laughs> What an uh, interesting process 10 years later but, to pull all this back out how
0: healing. Exactly. Because we've been working with so many people. Um, what we've realized is when people lose something, it's so incredibly painful. You know, all the emotions that come up around that person and all the events that are connected to that person, right? And it hurts so deeply that... Some people try to just distance themselves from all those things that bring up that pain. The problem is, is we continue to run. Mm -hmm. And so, like you said, just being willing to be with it and to like lean into it, like you said, Mm -hmm. and allow that pain to shape you into the minister you want to be. But I can imagine connecting to what you were just saying, like just being with other people remembering the situations and then connecting those hurts and seeing how these things are shaping you and moving you forward into what you are today and all the people that you've blessed and helped through your writing and your teaching. And I could see how that would be such a healing process because you're doing it in safety with people. It's like, I remember this and Mm -hmm. here's, and you're looking through your journals and prying over it, I'm sure. Yeah but then also praying and holding your wife and talking about this stuff. That's when that healing, you can invite Jesus into that scenario. Mm.
2: I I think Nancy and I working through it together was so, uh, of course you don't see it at the time, but it was such a gift to us in our marriage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I
1: bet. So you guys wrote that book um, pretty much on a trip, at least first draft
2: Yeah, first draft. Uh Um, And um, then there were other drafts, of course, after that. But um, I I think writing, you got to do right brain, then left brain. So you just write, write, write. Don't Mm -hmm. worry about the punctuation or grammar or this or that. You can always fix that later. You get in the flow. Mm -hmm. And then when you go back, then you you fix all the stuff.
0: I love it. Okay, so we're in teacher mode. (laughs) So for people that have never processed their grief, Mm -hmm. how would you, how, like if you were to assign your students that are listening right now that are going through something really hard, how would you have them start to process with writing?
2: Yeah. So I, I would, um, tell them to go to a painful moment that you can handle some things we can't handle yet but it's painful enough, but we can read. And then just write about it. And and don't worry about the sentence structure. Don't worry about the paragraphs. Don't worry about anyone seeing it. Write what you feel and then write some more and, and then write toward the things that you feel. And of course, um, grieving has so many aspects to it. Uh, there's blame, there's guilt. Uh, we blame God and mm. uh, Ultimately, we need to be forgiving, which means we don't hold people accountable. We had a family issue and uh, a sister did a certain thing, and I have a number of sisters, so I think it's safe to, to say a sister. Uh, and uh, I said, you know, she didn't mean it. it she, she didn't mean anything by it. She didn't understand the circumstances. And Nancy just said, she turned around and she said, look, she understood the st- circumstances. She knew exactly what she was doing. This is what she did. And she meant to do it, and she meant to hurt you. So uh, deal with that. If you're not, you're just in denial. You're not really dealing with it. Mm. So when you journal, you put all the nasty, terrible, rough things. Who if you're mad at God, put that in there. If you're mad at your family, if you're mad at your wife, your husband, put all that in there. And then when it's over, that's not the end. But that gives God, we we do this in the presence of the Lord. That's right. Knowing that he cares so much about us. Yes. And at some point when we're ready and we feel like we've exhausted all the hurt, then we turn it back to the Lord and say, you know what? And I don't understand. But Lord, I, I forgive and I release the right. And, and okay. I don't hold you accountable. I don't hold others accountable. Give me a clean heart, Lord. Give me a clean heart. Mm-hmm. And that can only happen once we've done all the... Um, they're they're really the exploring of the hurt. I guess yeah,
0: that's so good because yes. we can't release things. We can't ask God to forgive things. We can't ask God to heal things that we haven't identified
1: or acknowledged. Acknowledge
0: that it's even hurt.
1: We right. when we're working with people through tough experiences and grief we tell them the first step is to acknowledge your pain and anger. And if you've been done wrong, like allowing yourself to feel disrespected and they're like, I'm trying to forgive though. And we're like, yeah, this is the first step and forgiveness. And there's biblical precedent for it. Um, you know, people get tripped up when they say uh, when we say things or like you said, uh, you know, you you need to actually express your anger toward God. And if you're feeling angst or frustration, Express that, even if it's about God, you can express it to Him. Jeremiah did this. You look through his journals. I mean, he was angry at God, and he was still very much used by God.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and the psalmist, the the psalmist was not struck dead with lightning, you know, and. and... (laughs) Yep.
1: (laughs) Exactly. That's so good. That's good advice on grief writing. It's a good tool.
0: Yes. So, uh, what is the what is the name of your book?
2: Uh, the name of the book is called sweet pain and it's available at uh pentecostal publishing house but we also have it at uh, norris publishing uh, publishinghouse.com okay um and um so i just we just i went to a seminar and we just uh uh ran out so i've, I've got 25 coming in the mail it, it, they print uh, as we need them so gotcha. Um, Nice. That's the cool thing about printing. So, yeah.
1: Yes. Well, we will link that in the show notes. Sweet Pain by Nancy and David Norris. And um, the link will be there. So you could just click on it. If you're listening and you're like, I want to get that book, you can go there and grab a copy and I know it will bless you. Any other resources that you would recommend in addition to your book? I know you've written lots of books in theology, um, but any anything else you'd recommend to our listeners?
2: Uh if my wife were sitting here with me, she would have a list of a dozen books. Um, I uh, This is not my area. I, I, it's my area because I'm human and I grieve, yep. but uh, I, I, I don't have anything at the top of my okay. head.
1: Okay. All right. Well, we'll just definitely recommend this book there's another book that you were a contributor for um and it was a book that was um there were many contributors in the ar- area of marriage and family and it's called the apostolic family you wrote a bunch of vignettes in that book you're a very clever writer and we will uh we'll link that book as well do you want to share about that book
2: um i think you just did you, you know <laughs> much about it i do <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, Oh, well, it's a fantastic book. We'll link it. We'll link both of those. Um, and then if you're really interested in Dr. David Norris and, and more of his, um, academic theology work that he's done, you can go look him up and see, um, a huge variety of, of books that he's written in that field.
0: Very prolific. Yes. Well, at the end of every episode, we like to ask one question to all of our interviewer interviewees. And we like to ask, um, what is one piece of advice that you would wish you would have received at the very beginning of your marriage? And then fill in the blank, dear young married couple.
2: Uh, when I was uh, so I I always served the Lord, and uh, I I back in the olden days when I was growing, we we didn't have premarital counsel. We had nothing. Uh, I think there was like one or two books that. So I was so oblivious. I thought, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed that I thought this. I thought that my wife was a help me to help me in her job. That was her job, you know? <laughs> um, so I read a book by uh, Chuck Swindoll. Uh, I don't know, It's I've been out of print a long time. But it, there are other books similar to it. It's called Improving Your Serve. And I was reading this book. And all of a sudden I had this revelation like, whoa, wait a minute. Um, This is not a tit for tat. This is not a keeping score. This is not a she helps me. This is not a 50-50. This is my job is to serve her. Wow. And I I somehow or not, I got married. I've been married several years I had missed that. I'm like, what in the world? And when I changed my attitude about that, it changed everything in me and of course mm-hmm. there are times when I go back to a default selfishness or whatever sure. but it's like uh, Lord uh, help me to be everything I can to serve my wife and uh, I think that has contributed to uh, a happy marriage so Beautiful. I'd say that.
1: so dear young married couple serve
2: your spouse
1: Amen. yeah
0: Amen and and this is from a, a man that's been married a long time
1: 40 how many 48 years
2: 48 years june
0: 3rd
1: wow yeah. happy anniversary that's
0: that's beautiful yes. thank you that's beautiful you know i was thinking i i had the same or nearly the same you know problem of, of insight here i thought man when when you continue on in that path it's like what paul said you know it's like kicking against the pricks it doesn't work very well. Marriage is hard if you don't learn to serve. So that's such beautiful advice. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your wisdom with us today. Yes. Thank you,
1: Dr. Norris.
0: My honor. Thank you.